Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome to No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Warsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matias Wadner and Will Lomas. If you enjoy the show, why don't you go follow us on social media? You can find us at No Nonsense Pod on both Twitter and Facebook. There you will find links to all of our new episodes, and on Twitter you'll find Uh, Plenty of engaging content throughout the week unrelated to the episodes themselves. Uh, We got a great show for you today. Uh, The Titans lost a tough one, a close game to the Pittsburgh Steelers for their first loss of the season. We've got Mike Herndon, uh, better known to some as Mike Miracles, coming on later to talk about the Titans defense and and, and just how problematic it is. I know he is a favorite guest of of most of you who listen regularly, so we're, we're excited to have Mike on the show. Uh, and we're also going to break down the, the Steelers game. We're going to look ahead to the, the Bengals, talk about where the Titans are and where they go from here after their first loss. But but I quickly want to have a moment of mourning. Because last week, we teased on Twitter that we were going to have, as a guest on this show, Barry McCockner. And I cannot tell you how thrilled I was about that. Because I think... The guy is freaking hilarious. Uh, and so I, I got on a call with, with Barry, and we talked for nearly an hour. It, it was hysterical. It, it was it, We had a great time. I, I just could not wait to get this out to you guys. So as soon as the interview ends, I, I, I pick up my phone, and I call one of my good buddies who loves Barry, too, and just to say, like, dude, you're, you're, you're not going to believe that this is going to be the greatest thing you've ever listened to. And then I look back at my computer, at the recording software that has been used to record every episode of this podcast, every episode that we did, if you've been listening to us for a while, on the Titan Size podcast. I used to make like video game YouTube videos with this software when I was in middle school. I've used this software for a very long time. And it effed me over this time. It, it recorded my part of the Barry interview, but not Barry's. So, the solution that we've come to, because Barry was also very excited about the interview and, and was kept asking, he's like, when's it going to come out? I can't wait to share it. So what we're going to do is we're going to wait a couple months, because I'm going to have to ask him a lot of the same questions. So we're going to wait a couple months until it's organic, and in December, we're going to try to bring you that again. Uh, I, I apologize. It, it, it was partially my fault for not thinking 
a weird setting through that would take a while to explain. But mostly it, it was out of my control, and, and there was nothing I could have done about that. But I still apologize, and I'm still very upset that we don't have that. But we'll get it eventually. Now to talk about the Titans, guys. The Titans are 5-1. and one. General thoughts after the Steelers game. Fire everyone, pretty much. I mean, it's just so <laughs> disgusting it's that disgraceful. they would lose by three points to this team. And be five and one instead of six and zero. Oh. It's it's honestly it's vomit inducing that they that they would put this upon a fan base that's been so starved for. No, I'm kidding. Obviously, <laughs> you, we wanted to win this game, uh, and the fact that we even got close at the end was shocking because this team started out so poorly. Uh, I'm sure everyone was incredibly frustrated uh, at halftime. I mean, this team was down 27 to 7, and they were playing with no energy. They couldn't stop anyone on defense. They really couldn't get anything going on offense because they couldn't get off the field on defense. So they really didn't have too many plays to work with. And it just absolutely sucked to start. But after halftime, I have no idea what changed. They were just playing more inspired. The offense was really clicking. The defense started playing really well. Big Ben helped with a couple of um, a couple of mistakes that you know he's prone to do. And we talked about about it in the preview that the only way this defense was going to be able to hold them under 30 points was if Big Ben had one of his hallmark, you know, Big Ben turnover games. And he did. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough because we got just in too big of a hole and there was a missed kick at the end. But I don't know how you can come away with that being too disappointed in how the Titans finished that game. Yeah, I mean. I, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but the third down defense was something we knew was going to be an issue going into the game, and unsurprisingly, it was an issue. Uh, there's some different things that the Titans did uh, not to fix that, but just in general on defense that are interesting to talk about. But just in terms of takeaways, like, you know, some of these games you lose. Like, the Titans lost to the Chiefs last year in the playoffs after beating them at home. Like just because you lose one game in the regular season or win one game in the regular season doesn't mean that one team is better than the other. I do think that the Steelers are uniquely equipped to beat the Titans just in, you know, kind of where they're strong versus where the Titans are weak, uh, especially with the Dory out. So, you know, it, it was a tough matchup. The Titans lost by three in a game that they easily could have won if not for a late flag. And, you know, if a different set of refs come in and call it a different way, not that it's their fault, it's not. It was it was plenty competitive as it was. But, you know, it was one of those things where if you get uh, a roughing the quarterback call there instead of an intentional grounding at the end of the game, then the question didn't, are you going to score a touchdown? It's, are you going to leave more time on the clock for Ben to try to go down and match? So... You know, like it, that's all you can hope for when you're playing a team that good is you'd love to blow every good team out and go 16 and 0. But, you know, it's it's OK to lose these games, especially if there's a clear problem. And, you know, that's that's like we talk, like I just said, it's the third down defense. It's the problem. And if they get it fixed, they'll be great. If not, then there's going to be a couple of these games down the road. Well, I do want to say this about the grounding. You can't stand in the pocket and just huck the ball into the stands. Like, I don't. Like, I didn't even realize the grounding was a controversial call. Is that something people were arguing about? 
No, no, the grounding isn't, but that like there was a controversial part of it where I think it was Hayward or to it. One of their big guys kind of drove Tannehill to the ground after the ball was out. So that, and that's kind of what the flag looked like at first in the stands because yeah. it was thrown right at the, like at the quarterback's feet. And usually a grounding call doesn't come until later. So they show they show the replay of it. It looked like it was one of those classic like you know body weight on top of the quarterback kind of plays. That's what Mike Keith and uh, Coach Mack were saying on 104.5 as as the game was going. So it seemed and you know I I didn't rewatch it for that one. I rewatched the game because I knew it wasn't going to be a call. But seeing it live, it did seem like it was going to be fifty fifty one. It, you know, either it was going to get called or it wasn't. But the intentional grounding was going to be a part of it. But like like I said, you what you mark that off if, uh, if if you know you get both of those calls. So that was the controversial part. Okay, the, the controversial part was not the grounding. Like it, it was grounding. You know, and, and, and Matthias, I think you particularly hinted at this. This game, to me anyway, the result was not terribly surprising. In fact, about an hour before, someone asked me. What do you think is going to happen? I said, I think it's going to be a close game, and I think they're going to lose because I think this is finally when, you know, facing a Hall of Fame quarterback like Ben Roethlisberger, the defense problems, the problem with third-down defense, I think it's finally going to come back to bite him. And I actually didn't read the article, but I saw where the headline to, to Paul Koharski's postgame column was uh, Titans deficiencies finally too much to overcome, and I think that kind of nails it, right? What have we been saying all season have been the problems is – Really, really good on offense, but a horrendous third down defense and a very shaky kicking game. That's what cost them the game, was a shaky third down defense and an insecure kicking game. And I also made I made the argument after the game in my postgame column that I think this loss can ultimately be a good thing for them. We were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. The idea that... Obviously, you know, they watch the film and say this has to get better and everything. I'm not I'm not saying that, you know, the Titans, you know, don't watch film after wins or anything like that. I think that when you lose, it magnifies the problems. It's not that you're ignoring them before, but it just sheds a little more light on them. And for the Titans, as we're going to talk about with Mike Herndon when he comes on, they're pretty big problems, especially on defense. I mean, the numbers are not great. Uh, I want to say it was, what was it, 13 of 18 that the Steelers were on third down on Sunday? That sounds right. I think they started off 7-7. Seven seven. Yeah. Okay, 13 that's what, of 18. That's what I, that's what I thought. That's uh, obviously not good. And so I think losing <laughs> – Maybe yeah. add some urgency to it. And it's, again, they're 5-1. and one. They're in great shape to potentially be a one or a two seed in the AFC. Uh, but And I asked A.J. Brown about that after the game, and, and part of the quote that he gave was he said, sometimes when you lose, it's easy to sweep things under the rug, and when you, when you, when you lose or when you win, it's easy to sweep things under the rug, and when you lose – it, it sort of magnifies the problems. And, and he even said, he said, I think that this loss can be a good thing for us. So I, I guess just to make that point, as we close out a more general recap of the game before we maybe get into some more specific issues and things that, that came up, is this is not something to sit here and be depressed about and 
be demanding that they they trade for this guy. And I'm not saying they don't need to make a trade, but I mean, there's been some people overreacting to this loss, acting like, you know, and I'll talk a little bit more about this during Stop the Nonsense. But there are some people acting like this team is instead of five and one that they're one and five and that they're a complete disaster. Like, let's calm down a little bit. I I didn't know that sentiment was out there. I I, I don't know why it would be, but I I mean we talked we talked about it last a podcast episode that we thought that the Titans needed kind of a wake up call in order for something to change on the defensive side of the ball, and. That's kind of what happened in this game. The problem was that the Titans ended up coming back and almost won the game. So I'm a little hesitant to say that they're going to make big changes on the defensive side of the ball just because they came back and they only lost this game by three points. But when you look at it, you know, fr- from from a broader picture, I mean, his team was down 27 to seven and they couldn't stop anyone. Their third down defense is still pitiful. The scheme doesn't seem to be working. The players aren't playing well. I mean, there's definitely a change that needs to happen, but I'm just skeptical that it actually uh, will happen just because, like we've said, this team is still 5-1. and one. They almost ended up pulling this game out, and I think they're just going to feel like things are still copacetic, even though they're not. Yeah, and Vrabel even said uh, on, I forget what it's called, the Coach Vrabel show or whatever it's called, that... Uh, they didn't. They didn't change anything on defense in the locker room at halftime, and when you go back and watch the game, I mean, it's pretty clear that they're still relying on the please drop the ball defense. Like there were two plays where there were guys wide open that they just fell down out of their breaks, and Ben happened to throw it their way and missed. Then you get the what is it? Three interceptions? No, two interceptions in the end zone and one off of a tip pass. So those are all kind of like. I don't want to say fluky plays because, you know, there's plays that happen both ways that, you know, fall, you know, some people times you get lucky, sometimes you don't, but they're plays where the bend, but don't break defense makes sense on paper. When you look at a game in retrospect, but you can't tell that those are, those things are going to fall your way late in the game. They just happen to do it. So I don't know we're in an interesting place because, Theoretically, we're going to get a Dory Jack, and we'll probably talk about this in a second. But theoretically, there's going to be defensive back changes this week and beyond, and maybe that fixes things. Maybe it doesn't. But if they're going to make a change, it's going to be something that happens this week because it was the most exposed the Titans' defense has been so far this season. They look out. They looked outclassed for most of the game. Uh, I think especially on that fourth quarter drive where you thought they had things fixed and the Steelers just decided to march the ball down the field. And like I said, unfortunately for them, throw an interception that gets tipped by John Brown and goes to Amani Hooker. But, you know, it, it, the defense never really stepped up and started making plays. It just Jeffrey Simmons's plays that he basically makes by himself happened to matter more in the second half than the first half. So it, it's interesting because – Everything tells you that this is the week for change. It's not going to get any easier than it is this week, and you're not going to get more exposed, hopefully, than you did last week. But, I mean, there's a good chance that they look at the record and they say, you know, we were 5-1. and one. It's it's working well enough to, get, uh, to get us here. Let's not change anything. And I don't agree with it, but, you know, we'll see. I, I don't think that'll happen. I, I think that 
like I was saying earlier, I, they have to realize at this point it's a real problem. And obviously, and I'll talk about this again during Stop the Nonsense, the solution is not to go firing people, but but it's to make tangible changes. I, was talk- I had a great discussion with someone on Twitter. He, he came to me and he said, I disagree with what you wrote in your column. And we were able to have a, a discussion about it as opposed to someone just freaking out and you know calling me an idiot or something like that. It was great. I don't remember what his name was. Uh, but when we had this discussion, and one of the things I brought up when I was talking to him is when I say that I think this loss is going to, to prompt some changes, like you're saying, Will, it's more than just, you know, we got to look at the tape and play our technique better if you're the Titans. I think it's like they've got to change how they're calling third down. They've got to change personnel packages. We'll talk a little bit about that with, with Mike Herndon when he comes on. Like, like actual substantive changes, if for no other reason than to see, well, maybe this will work. Because what you're doing right now is good for last in the league on third down, so you might as well try something else because it literally cannot get worse. I hope you're right. I really do. I don't know if it'll change for this week. <laughs> I mean, we're going to talk. We're going to talk about the Bengals in, in in a few minutes, I'm sure, but. The Bengals have a really good offense, and they have put up over 27 points in four uh, of their of their seven games. So, I mean, I don't see the Titans being very good on defense this coming week, and, and this might be the actual wake-up call that we thought maybe we were going to get with the Steelers. I, 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 you really think that Joe Burrow and the 1-5-1 one, and one, or whatever they are, Bengals, are going to beat this team? Not beat you, them, but they're going to put up 30 time, points on us. You remember that time we played Minnesota and Jacksonville this year? And beat them both? <laughs> uh, by three points. Barely. Yeah, Barely. like by, by a very small margin. Like, I, Matias didn't think we were going to lose, but he correctly thinks that this defense is going to continue to get light, lit up. Like, there's... Do y'all think that the Titans are frauds? That the 5-0 and o is not indicative of, no. of who they actually no. are? Let, let me say this before anything. The defense is really bad, but the offense is so good that it doesn't matter well, because the NFL doesn't care about defense anymore. It just me, doesn't win you defense. Let me ask this question off of that because I had this written down as something to talk about, and, and since you bring that up, it's the perfect time to ask it. Uh, the offense is great. The defense is really bad. Let's assume that things stay at this level for the defense – or perhaps, you know, they get a Dory Jackson back and it gets a little better. So instead of like dead last in the league, they're, you know, 26th or 27th. Are they good enough for a Super Bowl run with that kind of defense? A run? Yes. I don't know if it's good enough to win the Super Bowl. We talked about this last week. I just, I feel like when it comes to playoff times, the defense being even decent is just so important and actually gets you uh, to, to that next step and possibly uh, winning the Super Bowl. But, I mean, I don't know. It's 2020. This has been a weird season. I, I wouldn't be surprised by anything at this point. Well, and I'll say this too. Like, defense in the playoffs isn't about sustaining great effort and winning drive after drive. It's about getting turnovers. 
Like, if you have a defense, especially if you have a good offense, but if you have a defense that can create two or three turnovers and your offense just does their job and you have a top five-ish offense, I mean, you're, you're probably pretty set. It's it's when you have to go against a, a complete defense to where that that's when defense actually becomes a liability. Like if you if it's just a game of shootout, like it was with the Titans when they played the Texans, like you can have bad defenses. Like that's fine. Like it's just going to come down to who creates more turnovers and who's more consistent. But you know, I, I find it very hard to believe that unless they shoot themselves in the foot teams like the Chiefs and the Ravens and the Steelers, like they're going to get theirs. Like they're going to get 14 to 17 points no matter what you do to them. It's just, can you create enough turnovers to where, okay, you can get two scores ahead and now all of a sudden they have to pass more or you put them in some sort of negative game script. Like I don't think this defense now is personnel-wise any worse than the Kansas City defense that won the championship. Like, I, I mean – if you take Simmons and Chris Jones and call them similar, and then you say Kevin Byard, if he is alive, can be similar to Tyron Matthew, like, I mean, it, then then you can kind of go across the board and say, I mean, I mean, I think our personnel is better than that team, but they haven't played like it this year. So I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I certainly could see – this team go into and win in the Super Bowl if they if everything continues this way, but you know they're going to have to hope the de- the offense drops some passes for other teams. I want to hit on one last topic with the defense before we bring Mike Herndon in uh, because we're going to talk a lot about the defense with him. So I don't want to overdo it w- with just the three of us. But one thing that I I have to bring up and we're going to talk about it with Mike a little bit the off coverage. We, I mentioned it, we mentioned it last week. It's a problem. I mean, I, I know they're worried about Joseph and, and perhaps even Butler getting beat downfield. But, like, I, oh, my goodness. I mean, I mean, if you got a receiver on the perimeter, 5'8 me with a noodle arm, I can get it to you on a screen pass, and you're going to get a few yards, you know, like – and I don't know what they're expecting, like, Ben Roethlisberger to do. And, you know, even Joe Burrow this week. Like, Joe Burrow's not an idiot. Like, I, I, I just, I guess my question to start a discussion is, how is there any payoff to that? I mean, we, we went through this with the Dick LeBeau days. That was so frustrating then. But back then they had... Parrish Cox and Valentino Blake played quarterback. As poor as the Titans' corners have been this year, I'd like to think that Butler and Joseph are at least a little better than that. So what? how is there any payoff to playing this way? Uh, I don't think there is, honestly, because I, I assume they're trying to limit big plays down the field by playing this guy so far off. But what's the difference? Because the offenses are still going down the field and scoring touchdowns. The problem is they're just taking longer to do it, and they're keeping your offense off the field. So you might as well take a little bit of risk. Let them have their chunk plays down the field, which might happen. But maybe you'll actually stop them on third down on occasion and give your offense a little you know, breathing room to not have to start most games behind by, by a bunch of points. I, I, don't, I, I don't understand it. This is the qualm we had with Dick LeBeau for so many years. 
and we hated it. We absolutely hated it. The problem back then was our cornerbacks were terrible. Um, although our cornerbacks right now are pretty bad because Dory's injured. So I guess in some way it's logical, but it's really not. Well, here's here's a big problem is I think Butler is sort of built to play that off coverage. Like he plays in trail technique. He's not super fast, but he's kind of physical at the top of the route. Like I think he can actually successfully play that off coverage. And I think a Dory Jackson can too, because he's so quick twitch. And when they throw like a little quick screen to the wide receiver on his side, he's already flipped his hips and is going and is a foot away from the guy who's about to catch the ball when it's in the air. Like, Adori may be better than any Titans corner I've ever seen, closes on those quick passes like instantly and then wraps up and makes great tackles. So it's almost like it tricks quarterbacks into thinking that I have a chance to make some free yards here and then they just don't. And so like because he comes up and actually finishes the tackle. So I think I I don't want to say that the, the coaching staff can't understand why one player can do it and another one can't, but it seems like they're across the board saying like, look, you know, this, this didn't get a Dory beat. This didn't get, this didn't consistently getting Malcolm Butler beat so bad that he can't play it like this, but we can't figure out why Jonathan Joseph and uh, Ty Smith can't stop this. And it's like, well, they have different strengths. Like they're not those quick close clock guys. And plus they don't trust it. Like, you have to have defensive backs that trust with like regardless of who's out there. Like if you're going to play that off coverage, your corners have to trust that if they see that ball coming, they've got to come up and make a play now. And if they don't, then you get all these plays where it's just these five yard cushions after the ball's already caught. And then you get guys breaking ankles and spinning around and moving because they've got so much space to work with. So, I mean, it's a stupid way to play defense and, it's it's something that like it's not a fireable offense like I, I know we're going to talk about that later but it's an offense where if you do it for a full season and you don't have an excuse for why you did it you deserve to be demoted like you you obviously don't understand what you should be doing on the football field like it's and that's not a hot take that's just like math like just you can't be that far yeah. off but I'm, I'm getting off the point but you 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 know what I'm saying like. That's that's why I think they fooled themselves into thinking they can play that and why they just refuse to adjust to it because they've seen it work in the past. And they're like, well, when Adore gets back, this will all be fixed and we can play this off coverage. So hopefully he hurries and gets back from what was supposed to be a three week injury and he can show them that they need to make some changes. All right. Let's let's bring Mike Herndon onto the show as we uh, continue this conversation about the defense and it might feel like we're harping on it a little bit, but it's just what needs to be talked about right now. So we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back from the break, Mike Herndon will join the show. All right, we're joined now by one of our favorite guests. And actually, Mike, we did a, a, a survey a few weeks ago where we asked our listeners like which guests they want to see back on the show more often. And you were you were far and away the number one choice from those who uh, who did the survey. So we're always thrilled to have you on the show. And one of the reasons we wanted to have you on this week, Mike, is is to talk about this Titans defense specifically because I think there's a lot of floating theories out there that have been offered by the players, that have been offered by the coaches, 
by talking heads. What's going wrong from your perspective? Because the way I see it, I don't know that it's just one thing. You know, I don't think it's just one thing. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. I, I don't think there's like one smoking gun that is just all right this is obviously the problem and and this is how you get it fixed i you know i think adore jackson being out you know you can start there and say any team that loses their top corner um is gonna suffer a little bit um you know not every team that loses their top corner goes on to allow 60 plus percent third down conversion um but I mean, I, I, I think that's definitely impacting things. If you watch the Steelers game, most of that early third down success, especially that they had, was just, hey, where's Ty Smith? Uh, and they just went <laughs> right at him. Um, so I think taking putting a Dory Jackson on the field not only puts a really good player out there, but it takes a guy like Ty Smith out. Um, so you're, you're going to have Butler and Jackson on the outside, and then you know whoever they decide to play on the inside, whether it's Chris Jackson – uh, or if they decide to bump Jonathan Joseph inside where maybe his speed is less of a, a liability uh, or lack of speed, I guess. Um, so I think that's one one area, right? And, and the other part of it, I think, is you had a – you know, we talked a lot about continuity during the offseason and how that would be a benefit to the Titans offense, you know, entire coaching staff back, all your key players back besides Jack Conklin – uh, and the guy that you're replacing Conklin with was a guy that had been on the team four years and knew the system. So that's played out, right? I mean, they're, I think, number three in offensive DVOA. They're putting up, you know, points every week, even against the Steelers' defense, which is one of the best in the league. They they roared back in the second half and, and you know, made that a game late, uh, thanks in large part to the, the offense putting some points on the board. But – you know, the defense was always kind of the opposite situation. You lost Kerry Combs, you lost EPs, you lost uh, uh, Tyrone McKenzie. Uh, you know, it's unclear whether he wanted to leave or was asked to leave or, or however that played out. Um, but you lost a bunch of coaches on that side of the ball. You're breaking in a new play caller in Shane Bowen. Um, you know, how much input Brable has in that, you know, is, is kind of unclear. We just know that Bowen is the guy that's actually the voice in the headset. So um, there's there's definitely a lot of change happening there, and that's not to mention Logan Ryan gone, Jarrell Casey gone, Wesley Woodyard gone. You know, Woodyard wasn't playing a ton of snaps, but he did bring them a lot of uh, veteran leadership and, and experience in the room that guys like Jayon Brown and Rashawn Evans could lean on. So, you know, all that all that happens, and then you bring in Vic Beasley and Jadavian Clowney, but they get no training camp. So now you're you're trying to break these guys in. Uh, you lose a Dory Jackson. A, you know, Jonathan Joseph was new. So and you're, you're, you've got a lot of moving parts. I'm not really surprised that it looks a little disjointed at this point in the season. I do think the talent is there. You know, I it, say what you want about Vic Beasley and Jadavian Clowney. They've each had seasons where they've put up big numbers and, and have had success rushing the passer in the past. Harold Landry's had success rushing the passer in the past. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons is playing great, so I, I don't think he's a big problem. But, you know, those, those edge guys have had success other places. There's no reason, and it's not like they're old, you know, old as dirt. They're, they're, you know, in their prime physically. There's no reason that they shouldn't still be able to find some success. I think a lot of this is, 
guys getting in a new, into a new system, guys working out the kinks, what, what you would normally be working out through a long training camp, they're working it out or, you know, in regular season games in front of our eyes, and that's where you throw the whole COVID uh, situation in there. So it might sound like a ton of excuses, but I think it's a ton of reasons that all add up to, hey, you know, the defense is bad. I think, it, I think it's going to get better organically, even if the Titans don't go out and add a big name at the trade deadline. Uh, I don't know how much better, but I do. I don't think we're going to see sixty percent completion or sixty percent third down conversions for the rest of the way. That's just not. It's not going to happen. Hey, Mike Matias here. It's uh, good that you just mentioned that conversion rate because I just saw a tweet from Scott Caxmar, uh, who says the NFL worst third down conversion rate on defense since nineteen ninety one through six games. The 2020 Titans, of course, are first with 61%. Second are the 2018 Falcons with 56.2%. That's not really surprising to anyone who's watched this defense, uh, but I, I kind of want to get your thoughts on why do you think this is happening? Do you think it's as simple as the Titans are just playing way too much off coverage on third downs and they're not really tackling all that well, or is there something deeper than this? Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I, I think, you know, kind of what we mentioned about Ty Smith and Jonathan Joseph, those guys don't have speed anymore, and they know it. And, you know, so playing press coverage is great when you've got recovery speed. And, and you know, Butler isn't the fastest corner, but he's, he can still at least, uh, you know, get back in the play when he does get beat off the line. Um, Joseph and Ty Smith, I, I think neither one of them have any confidence that they can do that, which leads to them playing off and, and soft. And, just makes it a little bit easier for, for these guys like Big Ben to, to come up and just take the, the little short slant and get the first down. You know, that's, that's part of it. Um, I will also point out, though, that the 2019 Falcons, who had the second worst, they, from week, uh, yeah, week eight on, had the best uh, third down conversion rate against percentage in the NFL last season. They dropped all the way down to, I think, 25%. They led the league by like several percentage points over the rest of the season. The big change that they made was splitting their coaching duties. So they, they took wide receivers coach at the time, Raheem Morris, and moved him to defensive coordinator, and they split play calling duties for the defense between Morris, who took third downs in red zone, and their inside linebackers coach, I believe his name's Jeff Ulbrich, uh, and he took uh, kind of everything else in the middle of the field on the early down. So they split that up that way. They had a lot of success doing it. But, you know, I, that that kind of thing, they didn't have a, a big-name player that they added or anything. Big Beasley did play really well for them, ironically, down the stretch, that he ended up having six sacks over the last eight games, I think, kind of on a, a good finishing kick. So I, I think – you know, there's there's some hope right there that, you know, you look at a team like that that was struggling and kind of in the same place the Titans were a year ago, and they got way better in a hurry. Of course, the Falcons started 1-6, and six, uh, so they dug themselves a huge hole, and then they finished 6-3 and three and kind of climbed out of it. The Titans at 5-1, and one, if they have a similar turnaround, you know, you would be looking at a probably 13 or 14 win team potentially if you if you look t tell me the defense is going to allow 25 percent third down conversion rate for the rest of the year. I think you're looking at a, a one or a two seed in the AFC. So I don't know that that's going to happen for for the Titans. You know, obviously that'd be a big turnaround, but it's certainly possible.
So we've talked a lot about the corners. I think we've we've talked about that the space they give receivers is a problem and all that. Like I can understand that on paper because they've got they're banged up. You know they've got slower guys out there. They're not going to trust them one on one. I get all that. Is there any way to explain why Rashawn Evans and Jayon Brown have just fallen off a cliff? Like when I watch them, it looks like they're flat footed. They're a full second late on their reads. They often don't seem to know where they're going until the running back has taken two or three steps and the blockers are already at the second level. And then in pa- on passing downs, they're almost non-factors. How has this defense, which is based around two different linebackers coaches and Vrabel and Shane Bowen, how can they not get those guys in a position to make plays? Yeah, and, and I think that's one of the mysteries. I, I think it probably comes down to coaching. That's that's really the only thing that, that I can kind of point to there. Obviously, uh, you go from Tyrone McKenzie uh, as the position coach and then um, uh, Dean Pease, who was a longtime inside linebackers coach. And I know, uh, you know, he kind of spent a, a lot of time with Rashawn Evans and, and also with obviously Jalen Brown, David Long, those guys. Uh, you know, kind of working with that group. Um, so they go from that, and now they've got Jim Haslett, who's a, a veteran coach and has had a lot of, you know, past experience, past success uh, as a defensive coach. Um, and it's possible that this is a, as simple as asking them to do different things or he's giving them different things to look at, and they're just not quite comfortable with it yet. Um, and, and, you know, it, if that's if that becomes an issue where what he's asking them to do is not effective, then you have a, a big coaching problem. If it's a issue of they just don't trust it yet or they're just not used to it yet, so they're struggling to execute it, then that's something that can work out as as the season goes on. But I think that's probably the most likely explanation for for why those guys have started slow. And, and you're right, they Evans has been uh, really a. a, a kind of sore spot in the middle of that defense, in my opinion. And, and Brown has been bad in run defense. He finally had a big-time game against the Steelers uh, in pass coverage, but uh, still would like to see a little bit more from those guys moving forward in, in what should be a strength of the defense. You, you put out a tweet this morning, Mike, talking about the similarities that exist right now between – the Titans' defense of today and the Titans' offense of a year ago today, where, you know, struggling unit, and I would potentially argue that the offense then was worse than the defense is now, but to, to point out the fact that a massive turnaround happened, you know, you, you made the point that everyone wanted Arthur Smith and Keith Carter, the offensive line coach, fired and and then by the end of the season they're they're heroes of sorts so i i guess with that comparison in mind it it took a lot for the titans offense to come out of the hole that they did last year And, and i have you know since day one said you know ryan Tannehill made a lot made a made everything a lot better but i refuse to believe that Ryan Tannehill coming in made Roger Saffold suddenly able to pick up stunts or suddenly made Nate Davis able to pass protect. And so I guess my question is, what's the Ryan Tannehill of the defense? 
what is it that has to happen to sort of spark everything else? Not that it has to instantly fix everything else, but sort of a spark to start everything else heading in the right direction. Yeah, and I think it's a good comparison uh, you know, that you made there with, with Saffold, because if you think back to last year, um, and I agree with you, it wasn't just Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill was the biggest part of it, I believe, but the, there were certainly other developments that happened. But if you think back to last year, the, the Titans' offense was kind of in the same spot that defense is this year. They were breaking in uh, a new free agent left guard, a rookie uh, right guard, they had, um, you know, a new free agent wide receiver in Adam Humphreys. They had a new rookie wide receiver in A.J. Brown. Uh, there was a lot of changeover. You know, obviously Delaney Walker gets hurt, and, and Johnny Smith becomes the number one tight end uh, pretty early on in the season. So it's it was a lot of change happening there. Uh, obviously, you also had the change in coordinators. So there's a ton of parallels between the Titans offense last year early on and the Titans defense this year early on. Um, and, and I think the, the Ryan Tannehill of the defense, in my opinion, the best hope of that right now is Adoree Jackson. Um, I think corner is the most important position on NFL defenses in 2020. Um, you know, pass rushers, you can make a pretty good argument for that, but I, I think at the end of the day, if you can't cover uh, as we saw against the Steelers, it doesn't really matter what your pass rush does because Big Ben's going to get the ball out in two seconds. And, uh, you know, unless a, a lineman falls down uh, in front of them, your, your pass rushers really don't have a whole lot to get home. So uh, I think Dory Jackson's return, and not to put too much pressure on him because that's obviously a, a huge comparison to make with, with the way Ryan Tannehill has played, but. I think if you believe Adoree Jackson is a top, you know, 10 to 15, maybe top 20, if you're, you're, you know, a little pessimistic about it, corner in the NFL like I do, uh, I think adding that kind of talent to the defense um, could make a big impact at a critical spot. What do you think going forward is probably the most worrisome part of the Titans, maybe a specific position group? Uh, that you're not particularly high on or you think might uh, might hurt the team going forward? Like, I- I'm a little concerned about the tackles just because, you know, Taylor Lewan going down uh, was such a big was such a big loss, even though Sam Brylow's played pretty well so far. You imagine that as the season goes on, he might get exposed a little bit. And I also haven't been too fond of Dennis Kelly for most of the season. Uh, I know he hasn't been terrible, but I feel like he's gotten beat a couple too many times in both run blocking and pass blocking. Is there a specific position group that you think uh, Titans fans should be worried about as the season goes on? Yeah, I think tackle is is certainly one. Um, You know, obviously, Sambrello has played pretty well. and, And really, you know, he's had... I think two snaps that were just complete disasters. Well, really, I, I guess I'll, I'll give them three snaps that were total disasters. Against Minnesota, he got beat by uh, Yankin Gawai for a strip sack. He got beat by J.J. Watt for a strip sack. And he had a play against the Vikings where he actually went the, went the wrong way on a zone run call uh, and ran into Roger Saffold that blew up what looked like a, a potentially promising uh, run play. Um but besides those three snaps, he's really been solid, and I, I've been kind of blown away by how 
well he's played because uh, he's played a lot. He's played in every game except for Jacksonville uh, because Taylor Lewan's been in and out of the lineup so much, um, which has really kind of gotten him a chance to break in, uh, you know, and, and not be just totally cold coming off the bench seven weeks in, which is, is kind of nice uh benefit to, to having lost Luan at that point, a, a silver lining anyways. Um, and Kelly, I would agree with you. Kelly's nothing more than an average tackle. Um, and when he plays against a guy like TJ Watt, he's going to get exposed. So against normal uh, edge rushers, it, Kelly should be just fine. I, you know, but then you look at the depth and, and, you know, God forbid something happens to Kelly or, you know, Kelly was a little bit banged up against the Steelers actually. Um, but he kind of got it out and played through it. But, you know, something happens to Kelly or Sam Brelo, and you're all of, a sudden, all of a sudden looking at probably David Klesenberry as the next guy off the bench since Isaiah Wilson continues to be in the headlines for the wrong reasons and, and not quite ready. Um, you know, hopefully, obviously, Wilson develops and maybe gets, uh, you know, his head in the game a little bit more um, than what it sounds like is currently happening with him. But, um Questenberry would be a little troublesome, uh, obviously, and, and you're really starting to get get into some trouble at tackle at that point. Um, and then defensively, I think corner continues to be a little bit of a concern, even with Adoree coming back. Uh, Adoree and Malcolm Butler are fine. You know, with Christian Fulton now being out for a few weeks with a knee issue, you know, who plays in the slot? Is it Chris Jackson, who's been kind of up and down so far, uh, most, mostly down, which, I mean, you'd kind of expect from a seventh-round rookie. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know what they do there um, in the from you know, Jackson, or, you know, maybe they, they just bump Joseph inside and play him there or something. But uh, I think corner remains a little bit of a concern until they can get – you know, everybody healthy and, and maybe settle into the normal rotation at that position. Without sort of waving a magic wand and making Lawan healthy and putting him back in or a Dory and putting him in, what's one change you would make on the defense? And and I'll kind of give an example first. My my constant complaint is that the Titans run that three four uh, underlook with uh, Harold Landry backed up to off-ball linebacker, and I think that's insane. Uh, I think they should use David Long instead of that, but now he's not even active. So if I had to make a change, I would make David David Long just a more permanent part of the defense. Uh, is there anything you can see with the roster, you know, without signing anybody or, like I said, healing anybody, what's one change you would make? And it can be to the offense, too. Yeah, I mean, short of, like, cloning Jeffrey Simmons, uh, yeah. you know, I, I think uh, defensively, I, I too would like to see more David Long. I, I thought he was um, really impressive late last season. And again, you know, with the coaching change, maybe it's something where he's just not picking up whatever they're asking those guys to do quickly uh, or as quick as what they would like to see happen. Um, but I'd like to see more of him. I think he's a really instinctive player. I think he's fast. He runs. He plays downhill and, and physical. Um, I honestly wouldn't mind seeing Rashawn Evans and Jayon Brown, uh, or not Rashawn, uh, Rashawn Evans and David Long on some early downs and then maybe get uh, Evans off the field for Brown on uh, passing downs. I, I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit of that, let him rotate in more with that group. 
um, at least until, you know, somebody proves that they need to be on the field all the time, uh, like they currently are. Um, so I, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see Derek Roberson get some run. You know, I've always liked him as a athletic, you know, specimen. I mean, he's a very athletic player. Um, and he flashed last year late in the season. So, you know, Beasley, Clowney, Landry, I get it. Those guys are really talented as well. But I think Roberson's a talented guy, and, and getting you know some snaps off of those other players may make them more effective. So I'd like to see the Titans get him involved in the rotation, get Long involved in the rotation. Um, you know, maybe maybe get some some looks at some younger guys and just see if if anybody you know makes some plays. And you know, they're just not making. They're making the turnovers, which is, is really the strange thing uh, about this defense. They're getting a ton of turnovers, but they're not getting the pressure. They're not getting the sacks, and they're not getting the negative plays. And that's kind of leading to that third down problem because uh, the, the Titans average the fourth least, or a Titans opponents average the fourth least third down distance to go uh, in the NFL so far. So when you're, you know, I know the third and long thing has become kind of a, uh, a joke on so social media over the last uh, three weeks because of the you know the Bills game they had the one drive where it was just like three third and longs or something like that and and then they had a couple against the Steelers too but really the biggest problem is that they constantly are in these third and threes and third and fours and that they're allowing opponents to stay ahead of the chains on early downs because they're not creating negative plays they're not getting uh, penalties drawn on the offense. They need they need to start backing teams up uh, a little bit more, and that'll be the, one of the first steps to solving their third down issue. Mike, we always really appreciate it when you uh, give us your time and come on the show. Uh, great as usual this time. Uh, but before you head out, let everybody know if they don't already, which I'm sure many of them do, uh, where they can connect with you. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, I interact, interact a lot on Twitter, uh, at, uh, Mike miracles there. Um, you can read everything that I'm writing and, and the rest of our team at Broadway sports at, uh, Broadway sports media.com. Um, John Glennon, myself, um, we've got several other guys, former coaches, uh, that are breaking down play for us. Um, Lots of lots of good content over there, so so definitely go check that out. Um, and at Broadway TN uh, on social media for the website as well. All right, we appreciate Mike coming on. As he said, you can find him on Twitter at Mike Miracles, one of the very best follows on Titans Twitter. Guys, let, let's shift a little bit now because we've talked about the defense since really the beginning of this episode. Let's talk a little bit about what's coming up this week for the Titans. They've got the Cincinnati Bengals, a team that has won just one game. They did tie in another with the Philadelphia Eagles. It, I mean, I, I just feel like you know, we've, we've had the conversation about, you know, these these aren't the same old Titans. They actually win the games they're supposed to win. I would be, to, to use a thesaurus word, flabbergasted if the Titans lose this game. I personally see no way of that happening. Uh, I see a way. I, I don't think I don't think it's very likely at all. Like, the Titans are, are too good uh, of a collective team. They're too good on offense to, to actually lose to a team like the Bengals that's just not incredibly talented, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So I'm not expecting the Titans to 
to lose this game, but I wouldn't be surprised, especially given it's on the road, if they don't, you know, just blow this team out. Just because the Bengals' offense has been really good uh, most of the season. Joe Burrow's playing very well, very calm and collected. They have a lot of weapons on offense. Joe Mixon might miss this one, but Giovanni Bernard is still one of the better backup running backs in the league. Their their trio of receivers, Tyler Boyd, A.J. Green, T. Higgins, are really good. I mean, A.J. Green struggled a little bit, but but he's kind of rebounded the last two weeks. And T. Higgins looks like a bona fide, like uh, at least, at the very least, a really good number two receiver in the NFL. So uh, I think they're they're a really solid offense, and I think they're going to give the Titans defense trouble. But the Bengals just don't have enough playmakers on defense to, to really – slow down Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill, given how both of those guys are playing. Yeah. I mean, Matisse is dead on like AJ green, unfortunately has bounced back quick before anybody could trade him, you know, trade for him for like a fourth round pick and he would go to the Patriots normally, but he's had, I think 170 plus yards in the last two games, which is, you know, a bad sign. Uh, Joe Burrow, they let him throw a ton. Like I, I want to say like, he's averaging like 40 passes a game, maybe more than that. Like he's just, he just throws it all the time. And part of it's because the offensive line can't get enough push to really get the running game going. And part of it's just because that's where their talent is. So that's concerning for a team like the Titans that struggles heavily versus a passing attack. And they, they do a lot of short passes, which is very frustrating. And then, you know, T Higgins is kind of Mike Williams, 2.0 except he's a little bit better after the catch and with the ball in his hands so that's concerning as well but you know they're supposed to be without at least one maybe up to three of their starting offensive linemen we'll see once we kind of go through the practice week but if if the titans are ever going to do anything on the defensive front with somebody not named harold landry or jeffrey simmons it has to be this week like you can't go against They've allowed Joe Burrow to be sacked 28 times in seven games. Like, that's bad. It's one of the worst O-lines I've I've ever seen. I'm not even kidding. And they're not even getting to play. They might be without 60% of their starters, including the one guy they spent a first-round pick on in 2019. So, like, if they can't beat that front, and if they can't see, like, okay, we can rush with four. This is the one time that actually makes sense. This should show us if we can if we can or if we can't cover with seven. So there, there's nothing in the world that says that if they can't do it this week, they should keep doing it. And then, you know, when, when they go against their defense, like I, Cincinnati's defense is fine. Like they, they have guys who can make plays. It's just whether or not they do it. The, the names, you know, probably aren't going to be the ones that make plays because they're all old at this point. But, you know, like. Carl Lawson is good. You know, when he plays, he's he's good. And that's probably the highlight of their defense is a guy who's kind of good. So, I mean, Carlos Dunlap's know, a good Twitter follow these days. Yeah. He, he does not want to be there. Yeah, he is ready to sell that house and move on. So, like, I mean, he, he's going to go somewhere and – uh, whether it's this year or next year, and he's going to light it up because he's just going to be like furious that the Bengals didn't let him just become a pass rusher, uh, and that that'll be great for that team. But for now, he's disgruntled, and that's great for this matchup. But uh, he, I, I would be shocked if he was like active. 
Yeah. yeah. It, it's, but, it's, it's a strange but, situation. It is the LaShawn Sims revenge game. I don't know if you guys knew this. Oh, I'd forgotten oh, about that. Oh, Bonnie Bledsoe and uh, oh, maybe Quentin Spain, who's visiting them right now. So, what? you know. Already got released. Yeah. That's uh, some of the times you pick up, honestly, just for depth. You might as well. Well, they've got Munyer. <laughs> I told, I texted you guys like I saw him on the field at one point in the Steelers game, and I'm like, "What? What is going on here?" Yeah, what? that's that. Well, Sean Sims is one of two former Titans that has me blocked on Twitter. I th- oh, really? Like, yeah, I said bad about him. Yeah, what did you say I, so bad about? I, I think I think this is what did it in, and and I don't say like I don't know why he reacted this way. But last year he got torched in the preseason by James Washington of the Steelers. And I tweeted, uh, cover three only works when you have stellar corners and LaShawn Sims is not that. And I think that's when he blocked me. Did you add him? You didn't add him. No, he named searched. He named searched. I don't understand. I don't understand why why professional athletes name search. What are they expecting to see? Oh, the LaShawn Sims is one of the best players I've ever seen in my life. Are they expecting that? Yeah, it's a, it's, a bad, it's a bad habit to get into. There are no good players that do it, as far as I know. Like, I, I don't get, you know, like, you know, like, and, and it, you know what, what, sometimes it'll happen, like, I'll tweet good things about a player and, and not at them, and and it'll get liked. It happened a few weeks ago with Joshua Kalu, who who I love because he's so much fun to watch on special teams, and he's a, like a really funny guy. But like, th- like that's an example. But like, I don't ever like. I have never had a tweet liked or retweeted or responded to by Kevin Byard when I did not tag him in it, or or Vaccaro or Lawan. Like, the good ones don't do it. The be- the best the best is Deion Lewis blocking everyone everyone. Well, uh, I know I know I'm I'm blocked by Deion. I think the podcast account is too, right? Your boy is not blocked by Deion. Uh, yeah, I was probably. I've never slandered Deion. <laughs> now, the the funniest thing was after he did this blocking spree where he blocked me, the the podcast account. He blocked Austin Stanley, one of my bosses. He then followed A to Z Sports. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure if you look at it to this day, Dion Lewis follows the A to Z Sports handle. I'm actually checking that as we you speak. Just, you just wait until his revenge game. He's going to show all of us. Uh, he unfo- he, how, unf- how he mad- unfollowed. How mad would you be if he had a 150 yard game, like 16 carries, 150 yards? I would be shocked. Like you mean, like for the Giants? No, just eventually. Like if if he ever had that, I would be so shocked. I mean, you have to be you have to be good to do that, and that's something he's not. He's he's their third string running back. Saquon went down. He was he was the backup, the direct. Yeah, Saquon went down. They started giving Gallman carries. They signed Devontae Freeman, played him ahead of Dion. It's I'm not going to trash on it. I thought we. We're on a bit of a rabbit hole, but to close this discussion, because I know there are people listening who are enjoying this, I will say this about Deion Lewis. I do not just, like, when a player is not good, start making fun of them. I started making fun of Deion Lewis on this show when he was playing badly 
and then started doing the Twitter stuff, and then started avoiding the media in the locker room, and then started getting coddled by the coaches. Like, all of that compounded to me being very uh, sarcastic and, and, and experiencing schadenfreude with Dion Lewis. Like, he's, he's your Kevin Dodd. Yeah, simply you're, being you're bad does not lead to me, you know, having Schadenfreude over you. It's when you're bad and then don't respect mine and my colleagues' jobs and act like a baby on Twitter. He, yeah, he's he still catches strays from anyone because yeah. every time Derrick Henry does something, they'll recall to when Lafleur gave him more, gave Dion more carries than Derrick I mean, Henry for to, like a whole season. So to, 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 be, to be fair to. To be fair to Matt Lafleur, I think Dion was probably better at that point. But that's a that's a conversation for another day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> last thing before we do stop the nonsense, guys. The trade deadline is coming up. I believe on election day is also the trade deadline, if I'm not mistaken. So November third. Um, what are some moves you could see the Titans making? There's been uh, more than I can really remember in years past. A lot of names floated around. Uh, and as will probably happen, not a whole lot of deals will get done. Uh, Stefan Gilmore is probably the biggest name I've seen floated around that in terms of just a pure football fit, I don't know about the compensation and the money, would would make sense for the Titans. Uh, what do you guys think, and, and, and should they make a move? I don't, I don't think they'll make any moves, really. I, I think they're just hoping that once Adore comes back, uh, the cornerback group it will be stabilized a little bit, and maybe Fulton or Jackson will, you know, improve enough to where they don't have to play Jonathan Joseph and Ty Smith as many snaps as they have been. I don't, I don't really think that they believe the team is flawed enough for them to make a move, and that's that's my personal opinion. But I, I mean, they don't, they don't really have that many holes, honestly. Yeah, I mean. Of course, I want to see them make a move. Like, I think I've said it, I don't know, every day for the last two weeks in our DMs that I want them to trade for Quinn and Williams because that makes no sense to me. I would trade a first round pick for Quinn and Williams and not ask a question. Like, it just, it seems like such a smart deal. You get a really cheap player who's 22 years old. I, I've, I've talked about this enough to where I don't, I don't need to repeat myself about it, but do I think they make a move? I don't know. Robinson's never done it, but he's also never traded away a player in season, and he did that with Correa a few weeks ago. So, you know, well, I mean, that was because he I, went in his office supposedly and demanded a trade or asked sure, for one. Yeah, but I mean, that only gets out because I would assume is because they were actually putting out feelers and going to make a trade. Like he didn't come out on Twitter and say. I want to be traded from this team. Like he didn't do what uh, uh, the Bengals player we were just talking about. Who was Carlos saying, Dunlap. Remember. Yeah, Carlos Dunlap. I can't want to say Carl Lawson. Uh, he's not. He didn't do what Dunlap did. Like, so I guess he demanded a trade. We got the tweets that said he demanded a trade, but you know, then he got traded like the same day. So who knows if that was him trying to drum up interest to where he wouldn't go to Jacksonville, which makes perfect sense to me. But I don't know. So this is a weird season. The Titans have never been five and one. They've never been this close to being a really good team. Uh, so 
Could they make a trade? Probably now is more likely than ever because they should be in buy, buy now mode. But do I think they make a trade? No, because only fun teams make trades and we're not traditionally a fun team in the middle of the season. I think if they do make one, it, it, I don't know that there's any pass rushers out there that would be, I mean, on paper any better than Landry and Clowney. And, you know, they've got talent at a lot of parts of the defense. It's just perhaps a, an execution problem and a coaching problem, as we've talked about throughout this podcast. I mean, the Gilmore thing, if you can make it happen for a reasonable thing, then sure, pull the trigger. But, I mean, I, I wouldn't, you know, sell the farm for Stephon Gilmore, certainly, if I were the Titans. Let, let's close out, guys, as we always do with the Stop the Nonsense segment where we point out the biggest nonsense that we remember from the week, both within and without the sports world. Who would like to go first? Uh, I'll go first just because I, I think we're gonna you're going to bring up your counterpoint to it in a second. I yeah. want to kind of lay my groundwork for it. So uh, there's something that's going on in Nashville a lot where people are overreacting and calling for jobs. And Coach Mack, gets on the midday 180 and he talks about football and he's, you know, he covers the day. He, he does the game day broadcast for the Titans and he does all that. He's incredibly intelligent. I, I respect everything he's done. He's, he's very smart and you listen to him and he can break things down in an instant. He's great to listen to during games. This is, this is not about that. This is about, he has an expression that he says, which is keep your powder dry, which it goes back to muskets and all that kind of stuff. But the point is, is don't make quick snap judgments on something because if you do that when football, you're you're likely to make the wrong move. And, and that, that sort of overreaction instead of letting your plan take its course is what gets teams in trouble. So I've heard him say even – as recently as, you know, last week and but before the Steelers game, and I'm sure he'll say it this week again, when people talk about making changes on defense, he, he preaches keeping your powder dry. But at a certain point, there's a difference between inactivity and, you know, keeping your powder dry. Like, if you see a problem and it continues to be a problem week after week after week, like the third down defense and the personnel and the play call on third downs, like, that continues to be a problem. And that's something where the powder has been dry long enough. Now it's time to take your shot. Like you need to make a change. So my stop the nonsense for this week is don't necessarily believe in too much patience. Like there, there is such a thing as being indecisive and not making your, not taking your shot when you have it. Like I think we've seen enough at this point where something needs to change on a fundamental level. And this is different from what Luke's about to say, but I think that the the nonsense behind all this is the idea that if you keep waiting and trying the same thing over and over and over, that history says that things will change. But what that doesn't tell you is the changes that, and we talked about this with Mike Herndon, is it doesn't tell you what changes were made to get there. So some action has to be taken for things to correct themselves. I Well, I agree with you 100% on what you've said, and there's not a but. Like, I, I agree with everything. I will say this, though. I think far too often people want that solution, and, and I'm going to talk about this in a second, though my, my stop the nonsense is a little broader than that. 
so many people want that solution to just be fire people. Fire this guy. Fire that guy. Well, you know, I remember writing in the middle of last year, as we were talking about with Mike, you know, the, the, the offense was bad and they needed to change things. And Vrabel kept saying that nonsense about, like, we just got to stick to the process and not change anything. What I was writing back then was, oh, yeah, you do have to change something. And I don't know what it is, Vrabel, but do something. Call different plays. Put, pe- put different people in there. I run the Wildcat every play. I don't know. Do something different. But I think that often, like, firings in the middle of the season are not for good teams. Firing people in the middle of the season is what bad teams do because they suck and it's not going to hurt them. So let's calm down on the firing stuff. I do agree, Will, that you're getting into Einstein definition of of insanity territory when you start keep banging your head against the brick wall and hoping to break through eventually. My stop to nonsense is the counterpoint to Will's. It is overreactions in the sports world, uh, of which there have been plenty this week. So, so Will's criticizing those who are very passive and say, oh, it'll all work itself out, everything is going to be okay. Mine, and, and I think I think the, the, the reasonable people are somewhere in the middle. There's not like a perfect place to be in between these two extremes, just as long as you're between them. My stop the nonsense is the meltdown sports fans culture. It started during the Tennessee game. I I, can't, I went after Tennessee fans last week, I think, with, with Butch Jones. Everybody knew Tennessee was not only going to lose to Alabama on Saturday, but it was not going to be close. And yet, I saw so many people on the timeline freaking out as if they thought that that was a game Tennessee was supposed to win. And again... You knew it was going to happen, yet when you get into it, I'm seeing, fire Jeremy Pruitt, fire, you know, fire everybody, get him out of there. Like, stop, stop overreacting. You knew that was going to happen. Everyone had already talked about how, you know, any real change was probably going to come in their game after that. So calm down. But, But my real bone to pick is with the Titans fans I saw in the first quarter of the Steelers game acting like the Titans were 0-5, not 5-0, and and were just getting beaten senseless every week. I saw people wanting to fire people. I saw people talking about, well, it's over. It's done. The season is over because we are behind to arguably the best team in the NFL through one quarter. End it all right now. Calm down, guys. And I know that sports is geared toward a reactionary culture, and it's what makes it fun. But you can have that fun, and you can react and have opinions without overreacting and getting into the territory of, like, of nonsense, of of this... I, I get this extreme, like, everything is a catastrophe, everything is the worst. First quarter, they ended up losing by three points. And no one, and, and I keep seeing this fire Shane Bowen. What do you, What is that going to do? Please explain to me what in the world that is going to do. Because what we keep hearing is that Shane Bowen calls the plays, but Mike Vrabel has influence. So you know what you're going to get? 
you're probably going to get a, a, a lot sloppier of an operation if you cut, if you fire Shane Bowen because Vrabel's going to get more control and have more on his plate. And the play calls that he, as Will was talking about, I can't remember if it was on air or before we started recording, but about how you know Vrabel said they need to get the play calls in quicker. They're not going to get in any quicker if you fire Shane Bowen. Calm down, everybody. Let it happen. Make changes. But stop calling for heads in the first quarter. And if you're 5-1, and one, you don't fire people. That's just not how this works. That entire rant could have been directed at me for my fantasy football outrage uh, whenever a player gets zero points in the first quarter. <laughs> so then they end up getting double digits at some point. But, yeah, that's kind of just how sports fans are. You know, they don't, they don't ever let the, the process actually play out because we kind of just love being outraged. It feels good to vent that emotion. The problem is when it carries over, like – after the game, you know, that's what it's an issue. So my stop the nonsense, I actually had a little trouble finding one. Uh, I forgot, I forgot about the segment for, for a couple seconds, but then I remembered that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers signed Antonio Brown for absolutely no reason. So for those of you who don't know who Antonio Brown is, just kidding. Everyone knows who he is, <laughs> but let me give you a quick little uh, rundown of what has happened since, since he last, you know, played football for a whole season. So in 2018, he quits on his team literally the last week of the season while they're in the middle of a playoff race. Uh, doesn't play doesn't play the last season, doesn't play the last game, sorry, and then asks for a trade. He gets traded to the Raiders. What happens? Well, I don't really want to play for the Raiders. He doesn't show up to practice. He gets fined. What ends up happening? The Raiders, who gave up two picks to get him, release him. Then the Patriots pick him up. He plays for one game, scores a touchdown. Then the Patriots release him because of sexual and personal misconduct allegations. Yeah, I think he missed uh, the he part fired. where he called Mike Bayock a cracker in front of oh, reporters. I totally forgot about that. that was right, so he did funny. that. He did that. That was in very poor taste. Uh, then he retires after the Patriots' uh, one-game stint, uh, where Belichick just didn't want to, you know, put, put up with his nonsense. He retires. Is it just out of the NFL because absolutely no one wants him while he's out of the NFL and quote unquote retired. Uh, police are showing up to his house like every other week. He has sexual allegations about him. Uh, he had like a, I think I read an article. He had like a porn video come out. I don't know what's wrong with this guy. He's clearly like not okay. And he has essentially left the last three teams that signed him like in his wake. Like it, the Steelers are so much better off without him. And now the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, because they're dealing with a couple of, of receiver injuries, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans have been struggling with injuries, but Evans has been playing. Godwin will be out, I think, a week or so, but he should be fine. Uh, the Buccaneers decide to send him uh, for really no reason. I, I don't really understand it because when you look at their wide receiver depth chart, they don't need anything at that position. Scotty Miller, whenever he's actually gotten an opportunity, has looked like one of the better slot slash outside hybrids uh, in the NFL. He's really quick. Uh, he catches the ball. And then you they also have Tyler Johnson, who was one of my favorite receivers coming out uh, from the University of Minnesota. He had incredibly productive. He had two straight 1,000-yard seeds. 1,000-yard seasons. The only reason he fell in the draft was because I think he had 
a character concern or two, and I think he might have run a bit of a slow uh, pro day 40 time. Uh, but I just don't get it. I mean, this team is 5-2. and two. They're one of the better teams in the NFL. Their offense is is humming. Like they, They've scored 45 and I think 38 points in back-to-back weeks. Like, what do you need this guy for? What What is the upside of him coming in here? By the way, he's 32 years old on top of all of these personal issues that could completely derail your locker room. I, I just don't get it. it. It doesn't make sense to me. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't. I don't know what you guys well, think. Here's what I think we can get from this. If, if he has, like, a good rest of the year, maybe plays well next year, uh, we're already, if he, if he retired now, now, I don't know that the voters would want to put him in because of all the craziness, but if he retired right now, arguably top five receiver of all time based on the numbers, he has been he was that good in Pittsburgh. Uh, I want to see him in the Hall of Fame because I want to see that speech. Like I don't tune into the Hall of Fame speeches because they're usually boring. I'd tune into that one. I'd tune into that one. I, I think that would be a hoot. Yeah, it would be wild. Like who would he even get to induct him? Because he hates Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, he hates Mike Tomlin, Tom Brady, but, but it's like, if he gets in like, and he has Tom Brady induct him, like, I mean, he's going to put up like 17 receptions for 180 yards this year. Who who retires, who retires first, Tom Brady or Antonio Brown? I mean, I thought the league had already been a play forever. I I don't see it in sight. He's going to get his little bones snapped like at midfield because he can't escape the rush and Aaron Donald is going to show him no mercy one day and just absolutely crack him. But like, I think if I think Brown will retire like twice or three times before yeah. Tom Brady actually <laughs> retires. Like we forget Antonio Brown has already said, I'm done with the NFL. Like I'm not taking any visits or like he, he basically said like, nobody asked me to come join your team because I'm not gonna after nobody asked him to join their team. Yeah. Uh, and then he did like a bunch of weird tweet, like, like Matias talked about, like he had a real weird, like time when he was unemployed and now Tom Brady is sticking up for him again and basically forcing the bucks who well, already said they didn't want to sign him to sign him. What got me was all the police videos. Like you hinted at that Matthias, like would pop up on Twitter of him, like screaming at the police, like obscenities. Like that's what made me feel like, eh, I don't know about this guy. Cause like, there's one thing to be weird. And then it's one thing to be that. Yeah, man, he was giving South Florida a bad name. And on top of all of this, that's right. he, I, like he's been suspended. He's on suspension right now. I, yeah. I just it's, it's such a weird signing for a team that's really good. I guess maybe they think it's going to push him over the top. I, I don't think it'll change much of anything because their other receivers are good. Well, let's go with this quick question. I, I made the comment, and now I want to see how true it is that Antonio Brown may be a top five all time receiver. Are there five receivers all time better than Antonio Brown? Obviously, Jerry Rice goes on that list. Who would be? Would there be four more? Well, number one is Randy Moss. Yeah, uh, and um, then Randy number Moss. Two is Jerry Rice, maybe, and then I mean, I think Calvin was better than him. Yeah, not production-wise, but in terms of receiving ability, maybe yes. Julio, because Julio's not that much different than Julio's uh, top five all time. Yeah, like without a doubt. I I don't know. That might be recency bias. No. I mean, but they're, they're both in the he's same number era. one in yards like, per game. Yeah, like, like didn't he have like a sixteen hundred yard season or something? Like, where he put up, like, well, insane numbers? Well, so did A.B. 
Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It's not recency bias. They both did it. Like, okay, it's like they both have the same peak, and one of them's not an insane person, and one of them did it with Ben Roethlisberger throwing it 800 times you in know, a season. I, I, last, this is the last last thing. Yeah, we got, uh, receivers are <laughs> receivers are divas. You gotta have a diva person like Julio Jones and Mike Evans, two of the best receivers in the NFL, are like not that at all. Marvin Harrison, like they they're that very like stoic like. I'm just better than you. Exactly. And, you know, Andre Johnson was like that too. Yeah. Like yeah. They, they, but like for some reason, the ones who can like like the old Packums. Yeah, yeah. Like the the ones who are fast have attitude. I don't know yeah. if it's because they're generally <laughs> shorter than everybody else at some point or what. But man, they are way more feisty. Like if you, I guess if you grow up like six four and just being a super athlete, like. Nobody has ever said anything to you because you've always been the biggest and most athletic guy on your team. But like maybe five ten receivers catch flack in high school and in college from people, and that's where they develop that. But I mean, I can't imagine Andre Johnson ever being frustrated with anything just because yeah. it's like everything's always kind of gone his way. All right, well that's gonna do it for us. We appreciate Mike coming on. We appreciate all of you for listening. Until next time. I'm Luke for Matias and Will reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.